Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence, sexual assault, and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Hazel Show felt a chill run down her spine as she approached her condo on December 20th, 1991. She had no idea what was wrong, but something in her gut made her rush home that morning. When her neighbor came outside to tell her he heard some commotion upstairs, she felt herself start to shake. She ran to her door and yelled for her 16-year-old daughter, Lori. There was no response. Hazel rushed into Lori's bedroom and found her daughter on the floor, lying in a pool of blood. Lori's chest rose and fell rapidly as she clutched at a rope coiled tightly around her neck. Hazel screamed, ran to grab a knife, and quickly cut the noose. But to her horror, she realized her daughter still couldn't breathe. The girl's throat had been sliced right down to the bone. Frantic, Hazel cradled her daughter in her arms and asked her what had happened. Lori's eyes flashed for a moment. Then she looked up to her mother and gingerly opened her mouth to speak. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last week, we covered the toxic relationship between 18-year-old Lisa Michelle Lambert and her on-again, off-again boyfriend, 20-year-old Lawrence Youngkin. When the two broke up and Lawrence started seeing 16-year-old Lori show instead, Lisa snapped. She stalked and harassed the girl for weeks, even after Lawrence got back together with her. This week, we'll discuss how Lisa's obsession led to the tragic death of a young woman. We'll also explore the string of sensational trials that forever left a mark on the small Pennsylvania community. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. 
Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In December 1991, 18-year-old Lisa Michelle Lambert was out for blood. She was about six months pregnant and worried that she, along with the father of her child, 20-year-old Lawrence Youngkin, would soon face criminal charges. Earlier that summer, Lawrence had reportedly raped 16-year-old Lori Show while the two of them were dating. Since then, he had gotten back together with Lisa, but she still irrationally blamed Lori for ruining their relationship. Because of that, Lisa was determined to make Lori's life a living nightmare. She followed the girl around the small town of East Lampeter, Pennsylvania, screaming at her and attacking her on several occasions. In November, Lori and her mother, 40-year-old Hazel Show, finally turned the tables and filed assault charges against Lisa. Now that Lisa was wanted by the police, she decided the only way she could avoid doing time was to shut Lori up for good. On the afternoon of December 19, 1991, Lisa allegedly placed a call to the Lancaster Community Hospital, where Lori's mother worked, and asked to speak with her. She claimed she was a counselor at Conestoga High School and said she needed to talk to Hazel about her daughter. When Hazel asked what was wrong, the voice on the other end responded that it would be better to speak face-to-face. -face. Hazel agreed to meet at the school the following morning. That evening, Lori told her parents she had no idea why her counselor would want to speak to them. Her father told her not to worry. Whatever was going on, Hazel would defend her to the end. That strange meeting wasn't the only bad news the shows received that day. At some point in the evening, a police officer dropped by to inform them that Lisa Michelle Lambert still hadn't been formally charged with assault. She and Lawrence Youngkin had mysteriously disappeared and local authorities were having trouble tracking them down. That was because Lisa and Lawrence had recently fled their apartment in Bridgeport and moved into a trailer in the town of Peckway about 20 miles away. While the shows enjoyed their family dinner, Lisa and Lawrence were driving to a nearby Kmart. Lisa went in alone and bought a length of rope as well as two black ski hats. Then, the couple went to see their friend, 17-year-old Tabitha Buck. When Tabitha answered the door, she could immediately tell something was wrong. It didn't take long for Lisa to open up. She ranted wildly about Lori's show and the pending assault charges. She didn't beat around the bush either. She told Tabitha she wanted to kill Lori to keep her from talking to the police and that she needed help to do it. Before I continue with Tabitha's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. 
According to a feature on Friendship in the Atlantic by Lydia Dinworth, social status plays a major role in adolescent power dynamics. She interviewed developmental psychologist Jana Juvenin, who said, friendships take place in this larger context where there's a status hierarchy. Kids know very well which kinds of kids are friends with one another and where they stand in that overall status hierarchy. More often than not, teenagers long to be popular and certain personalities naturally fare better than others. Psychologist Dorothy Espelage wrote that some researchers believe that the pressure to gain peer acceptance and status may be related to an increase in teasing and bullying. This behavior may be intended to demonstrate superiority over other students for boys and girls, either through name-calling or ridiculing. Despite knowing the harmful effects of bullying, adolescents recognize that their own social status is often at stake. So when they witness harassment, some teens are too afraid to speak up. While Tabitha Buck had nothing personally against Lori show, she was all too willing to help Lisa and Lawrence get their revenge. But according to her, she didn't really think Lisa was being serious about killing Lori. Lisa had been talking about Lori's death for months, but she never actually went through with her most violent plans. Tabitha figured Lisa was bluffing again this time and agreed to help out just to be a supportive friend. Unfortunately for Tabitha, she had no idea who Lisa Michelle Lambert really was. The following morning, Lisa and Lawrence returned to Tabitha's apartment and picked her up. Both girls wore dark clothes, put on the black ski caps, and slipped on gloves. Just before seven in the morning, the trio arrived at Lori Show's condo. Lisa and Tabitha climbed out of the car. The plan was for Lawrence to come back to meet them in half an hour. According to Lawrence, he had no clue what the girls were really up to, though he suspected they were going to harass Lori Show. He didn't want to get involved, but he also didn't want Lisa to be mad at him, so he just did as he was told. After dropping the girls off, he drove to a nearby McDonald's and ordered some breakfast. Meanwhile, Lisa and Tabitha knocked on Lori's door. When Lori answered, Lisa jumped inside and grabbed her. Lori was stunned. Without really knowing what was going on, she struggled against Lisa's grip and managed to wriggle free out of reflex. She tried to run out of the door, but Tabitha blocked the path. Lori slammed into Tabitha and scratched her face. Before she could push her way outside, however, Lisa grabbed a knife from her bag and charged back at Lori. Without thinking, Lori grabbed the sharp blade with her bare hands to block the attack. Her hands dripping with blood, she then rushed toward her bedroom. Lisa was right on her tail. She jumped on Lori, grabbed chunks of her hair, and sliced them off with the knife. She dragged Lori to the ground and struck her repeatedly in the head. Then, she gave the knife to Tabitha and started wrapping the rope around Lori's neck. According to Tabitha, Lisa said the noose was to make the murder look like a suicide. Once Lisa had Lori tied up, she ordered Tabitha to, quote, cut her throat. 
Tabitha was paralyzed. She still couldn't quite believe Lisa was serious. She stood frozen for a moment before giving Lisa a hesitant no. Lisa scowled but didn't argue. She snatched the knife away from Tabitha and stabbed Lori in the leg herself. Lori writhed in pain and kicked in all directions, desperately trying to break free. Lisa shouted for Tabitha to hold Lori down. After another moment of hesitation, Tabitha obeyed and sat down on top of Lori's legs. According to her, she turned to face the wall so she wouldn't have to witness what came next. Moments later, Lori's body went limp. When Tabitha looked back, she saw that Lisa had made deep cuts into the girl's neck. A horrible wheezing escaped Lori's throat. It sounded like something was punctured. Tabitha was in shock. When she asked if Lisa had really killed Lori, Lisa said she wasn't sure, but she wasn't going to leave the job unfinished. She slashed Lori's neck one more time. In Tabitha's words, it looked as though she were cutting bread. When we return, Lisa Michelle Lambert, Tabitha Buck, and Lawrence Yunkin try to get away with murder. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. 
Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now, back to the story. In the early morning hours of December 20th, 1991, Lisa Michelle Lambert and Tabitha Buck attacked 16-year-old Lori Show in her home. While Tabitha held Lori down, Lisa slit her throat. Afterward, the girls ran outside and left Lori for dead. Meanwhile, Lori's mother, 40-year-old Hazel, sat inside the Conestoga Valley High School office, waiting for a meeting with Lori's counselor. But after just a few minutes, she got a strange feeling in her gut. Something felt wrong. Around 7.10 a.m., she got up and rushed back home. About five minutes later, 20-year-old Lawrence Yunkin finished his breakfast at McDonald's and headed back to Lori's condo. As soon as he arrived, Lisa and Tabitha jumped into his brown mercury and ordered him to floor it. The girls were covered in blood. Lawrence could guess what had happened, but he didn't want to know. Instead of asking questions, he kept quiet and drove the girls back to the trailer he shared with Lisa. Hazel drove right past the trio as they left, but didn't get a good look at the car. Before she could step inside her home, her neighbor emerged to ask if everything was all right. She said she'd heard some loud noises coming from Hazel's condo. Concerned, Hazel rushed upstairs. At first glance, everything seemed to be in order. Hazel called out for her daughter and got no answer. She hoped Lori had already left for school, but as she approached the bedroom, her heart stopped. Lori lay on the floor covered in cuts, bruises, and blood. She could hardly move, let alone speak. Hazel screamed for her neighbors to help, then cut the rope around Lori's neck. As she struggled to help her daughter, she asked who had attacked her. Through strained breaths, Lori told her mother it was Lisa Michelle Lambert. Paramedics arrived in minutes, but it was already too late. Lori had lost too much blood. Around 7.45 a.m., police officers trickled in to collect evidence and speak with witnesses. Several neighbors reported seeing two figures in dark oversized clothes roaming the complex before the murder. Most of them said the strangers seemed like women, somewhere between five foot three and five foot seven. Nobody got a good look at their faces because according to the witnesses, the women were wearing sweatshirts with the hoods closed tightly around their faces. Hazel Show saw no more need for questions. She already knew who the killer was. Thanks to her testimony, officers agreed Lisa Michelle Lambert was the primary suspect. However, they were somewhat stumped by the witness accounts. Lisa's only plausible accomplice would have been her boyfriend, Lawrence Yunkin. Lawrence had just as much motive to kill Lori as Lisa, but he was nowhere close to the same size as his girlfriend. While she was roughly five foot six, he was well over six feet tall. Even so, East Lampeter police issued a statement 
asking the public to be on the lookout for Lawrence and Lisa within hours of the attack. While they cordoned off the crime scene, Lisa, Lawrence, and Tabitha were driving back to their trailer in Pequa, Pennsylvania. There, the girls cleaned up and changed out of their blood-stained clothes. While Tabitha was in the bathroom, Lawrence finally started asking questions. According to his later testimony, Lisa told him that a fight broke out after she and Tabitha entered the condo. At some point, Lori was stabbed in the lung during the struggle. Lisa believed the wound was a death sentence. So, with no other options, the girls decided to, quote, put her out of her misery. As far as we know, Lawrence left it at that. While he later claimed he didn't want Lori dead, he also didn't want Lisa to go to jail. So instead of calling the police and turning her in, he helped her come up with an alibi. The biggest problem was that Tabitha had a massive red scratch on her face from Lori's nails. If anyone asked what had happened that morning, the trio agreed to claim that two Puerto Rican girls approached them at McDonald's, started a fight, and attacked Tabitha. With that settled, Lisa and Lawrence left the trailer around 8.30 a.m. to drop Tabitha off at school. As expected, her teachers and classmates had questions, but Tabitha was prepared. She went along with Lisa and Lawrence and told them the false story. It's difficult to say what Tabitha was thinking in the aftermath of the murder. By all accounts, she was generally a good kid. She had great grades, solid relationships, and a strong connection with her Christian faith. Prior to meeting Lisa Michelle Lambert, Tabitha Buck seemed to have a happy future ahead of her. But after the crime, she clearly changed her views on right and wrong. She was likely strongly influenced by Lisa and Lawrence's behavior, a phenomenon known as vicarious dissonance. According to social psychologist Amber Gaffney, vicarious dissonance is when you see someone behave in a way inconsistent with your attitudes, so you change your attitudes. In a 2004 study from the Sage Social Science Collection, researchers discovered that close friends have the power to change our behavior. They wrote that when we witness a fellow group member doing something with which we do not quite agree, we will change our own attitude to be more in line with their behavior. Terrified she was going to jail for murder, Tabitha decided to cling to her relationship with Lisa instead. Just like Lawrence, she decided to do whatever Lisa ordered. While she did her best to act natural at school, Lisa and Lawrence got rid of the evidence. They went to a nearby laundromat and washed the bloody clothes before tossing them in the trash. Afterward, they went about their day as if nothing was wrong. They watched television, ran errands, and even visited Lawrence's grandparents. At some point, the couple drove out to the Susquehanna River and threw away more evidence, including the murder weapon. Around 7 p.m., the couple made their way back to Tabitha's house. They spent the next few hours polishing up their cover story. They rehearsed their alibi together and added some details to make it sound more credible. Then, at 10 p.m., they went to the garden spot bowling alley, apparently to keep up appearances so they wouldn't seem to be acting unusual. 
But going out in public probably wasn't the smartest thing for two wanted criminals to do. Lawrence and Lisa were spotted at the bowling alley by a local who had seen the police press release. He alerted the authorities who were surprised to find Tabitha Buck sitting right next to them with a large scratch on her face. It didn't take long for investigators to realize that Tabitha was a lot closer to Lisa's height than Lawrence was. All three of them were taken into custody for questioning. Since Tabitha was a minor, her mother was brought into the interrogation room with her. Tabitha's heart pounded as she was led into the room. She took a breath and tried to remember the story she'd rehearsed. As long as she stuck to the script, Lisa promised the police would have no way to lock her up. She forced a nervous smile as she sat down in the cold metal chair. As planned, she gave the police a detailed alibi. All in all, it didn't have too many obvious holes. After three hours of questioning, Tabitha was released around 2 a.m. After all, aside from the suspicious scratch and her height, there wasn't much reason to suspect her. She had never even met Lori Show, so investigators had a hard time believing she was involved in the murder. Meanwhile, Lisa and Lawrence were kept in separate rooms, telling officers the exact same story. They didn't get off so easily. Authorities found it suspicious that all three suspects had nearly identical accounts. They suspected the alibi was rehearsed, so they decided to ratchet up the tension. At one point, Lisa's interrogator revealed that Lori Show was dead and point blank asked her if she was responsible. In response, Lisa feigned surprise and started to cry. It wasn't convincing and she knew it. Before the sun even started to rise the next morning, she changed her story multiple times. In one version, she admitted to visiting Lori's condo, but claimed she never went inside. She said she only wanted to grab Lori as she walked to her bus stop, tie her up, and then cut her hair as a prank. According to Lisa, that all changed because of Tabitha Buck. With no warning, Tabitha supposedly stormed inside Lori's condo and brutally stabbed her. When investigators asked how Lisa could have known all of this if she wasn't inside the building, Lisa once again altered her testimony. In her latest version of events, she acknowledged that she'd gone into the condo and watched as Tabitha murdered Lori. She then claimed she fled the scene. Lisa swore up and down that she and Lawrence were completely innocent. Tabitha Buck was the real monster. But convincing police that she had nothing to do with murder would be an uphill battle. When we return, investigators unravel Lisa Michelle Lambert's web of lies. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. 
one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Now, back to our story. On December 20th, 1991, 16-year-old Lori Sho was murdered in her bedroom. Before she died, she managed to tell her mother, Hazel Sho, that 18-year-old Lisa Michelle Lambert was the killer. But when investigators questioned Lisa, she told a completely different story. She claimed that she only went to Lori's condo to play a harmless prank. Her 17-year-old accomplice, Tabitha Buck, was the one who suddenly snapped and committed the murder. While Lisa's latest version of events was certainly animated, investigators could tell she was lying. She had a long history of harassing Lori show. If anyone had a motive to kill, it was obviously Lisa and not Tabitha Buck. Still, investigators used the false testimony to their advantage. Around four in the morning, an interrogator told Lisa's 20-year-old boyfriend, Lawrence Youngkin, that one of the girls had cracked. If he didn't speak up, he was likely going to face time for murder. Lawrence immediately folded and confessed. Unlike his girlfriend, however, he didn't blame Tabitha. Instead, he told officers that Lisa was the mastermind. According to him, she had planned the murder from the beginning. He knew she and Tabitha were going to harass Lori that day, but he didn't actually believe they would be violent. Since it was so early in the morning, he also claimed that he thought Hazel Show would still be home to protect her daughter. After further questioning, Lawrence revealed the location where he and Lisa had dumped the bloody clothes and the murder weapon. It was everything the police needed. Later that day on December 21st, 1991, Lisa and Tabitha were charged with first-degree murder. Lawrence was given a lesser charge of hindering apprehension, which essentially alleged that he had obstructed the police investigation. The trials were set for the following year. In the meantime, all three were held inside Lancaster County Prison. But while they were kept in separate quarters, they all had access to shared facilities. Soon enough, Lisa and Lawrence started passing secret messages to each other. In a letter written in January 1992, Lawrence apologized for his role in the murder and wrote, If I would just think with the head on my shoulders and not with the one between my legs, everything would have been all right. I blame myself for bringing Lori into the picture of our feud. In response, Lisa offered some reassuring words. Since he had no part in Lori's murder, she told him the truth would set him free, as long as he claimed Lisa was also innocent. She seemed to be trying to get Lawrence on her side by insinuating that they could team up to put the blame entirely on Tabitha. Lisa may have believed Lawrence would help her since she was the mother of his child. In March of 1992, she gave birth to a baby girl, 
Before she was taken back to prison, she was forced to give up her child to her parents. Unfortunately for Lisa, however, Lawrence was not on the same page. At some point, he'd struck a deal with prosecutors. He agreed to testify against both Lisa and Tabitha in exchange for pleading guilty and serving no more than three years behind bars. This deal also meant that his girlfriend would face the death penalty. In July of 1992, Lisa Michelle Lambert stood trial. By that time, nearly everyone in the small town of East Lampeter, Pennsylvania, believed she was guilty. Several people had already come forward and confessed that Lisa clearly had it out for Lori. But to truly prove she was guilty of murder, the lead prosecutor still relied on Lawrence Youngkin as his key witness. As agreed, Lawrence recounted the same story he told police on the stand. Lisa had purchased the rope, she'd bought the murder weapon, and she'd plotted to kill Lori's show. Tabitha was along for the ride. However, when he was cross-examined by Lisa's defense lawyer, Lawrence's credibility crumbled. The defense painted Lawrence as an abusive boyfriend who had a jealous streak. Because of him, they claimed, Lisa went by her middle name, bleached her hair, and lived in a constant state of fear. The attorney then produced his ace in the hole, an incriminating document that was passed back and forth between Lawrence and Lisa while they were in jail. Referred to as the 29 questions, it was essentially a survey Lisa had given Lawrence about their relationship and the murder. For example, in question 14 of the document, Lisa asked, Will you always stick with me, as long as I still don't tell that you held Lori down for Tabby? In response, Lawrence wrote, Will always. Question 18 was, quote, Do you remember after our fourth date at my mom and dad's, and we had been talking, and then at 2 a.m. you forced sex on me, beat me up when I cried? That was mean. Lawrence's response read, Yes, your mom and dad's house. In the final string of questions, Lisa asked, Should I still cover up that you helped Tabby kill Lori? Are you absolutely sure? Lawrence wrote, Yes, I'm positive. When presented with the survey, Lawrence claimed that some of the questions had been altered to incriminate him. However, a forensic document examiner testified otherwise. According to him, the questions and answers hadn't been changed at all. The prosecution was less than thrilled at Lawrence's performance. They had agreed to grant him a lesser sentence in exchange for his testimony. Now his credibility hung in the balance. But the state still had plenty to work with. There was a seemingly endless series of witnesses who had personally seen Lisa Michelle Lambert verbally and physically harass Lori Show. Several also claimed they'd heard Lisa specifically say she wanted to kill Lori. When Lisa was called to the stand, her excuse was that those threats merely amounted to venting. She said she never really wanted to kill Lori. She just wanted to embarrass her with a bad haircut. Her latest account of the murder was once again slightly different from the story she originally told police. This time, 
Lisa again claimed that she only ever wanted to grab Lori on her way to school and cut her hair. But on the day of the crime, Tabitha said she was too cold to wait outside and demanded to go in Lori's condo. As soon as Lori opened the door, Tabitha burst inside and stabbed Lori. Lisa said she even tried to save Lori, but that Tabitha fought back, so she ran outside and found Lawrence. When she told him Tabitha had snapped, he rushed into the condo to see what was happening. That was news to prosecutors. Lawrence claimed that he'd never gotten out of his car, but Lisa placed him at the scene of the crime. Even worse, she accused him of being directly involved in the murder. Fortunately for Lawrence, the judge didn't buy Lisa's allegations. In July of 1992, he found her guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced her to life in prison with no chance of parole. Two months later, Tabitha Buck's trial commenced. Unlike Lisa and Lawrence, she was advised by her public defender to keep her mouth shut. He thought the less she admitted to, the lighter her sentence would be. But within weeks, 17-year-old Tabitha was found guilty of second-degree murder and received a life sentence. Then, in October 1992, Lawrence Yunkin lost his plea deal. Because of the infamous 29 questions survey, prosecutors believe Lawrence broke their agreement and damaged his credibility as a witness. Instead of facing just a few years behind bars, he received a 10 to 20 year sentence for a third degree murder. While Tabitha and Lawrence's stories end there, Lisa Michelle Lambert's legal saga was only just beginning. Over the next four years, she appealed her case in both state and federal courts, claiming she was the victim of gross prosecutorial and police misconduct. In 1996, while serving time, Lisa accused a male prison guard of raping her, and the guard was found guilty of aggravated assault. She was then moved to a prison in New Jersey, where she continued to fight for her freedom with the help of a prominent lawyer named Christina Rainville. In March of 1997, Rainville presented Lisa's new defense in federal court. Lisa insisted she was framed for the murder of Lori Show by the East Lampeter Police Department. She claimed that three officers had raped her in the summer of 1991. To prevent the story from getting out, she alleged that officials wanted to keep her behind bars. However, when she divulged the details of the incident, it was clear that Lisa wasn't telling the full truth. On the day of the alleged attack, one of the accused officers was in an entirely different state, enjoying his honeymoon. Though this threw a wrench in their argument, Rainville brought forth more expert testimony, declaring that Lisa was a victim of abuse and couldn't be held responsible for Lori's death. She accused Lawrence Youngkin of physically, mentally, and emotionally abusing her. She also claimed she was so traumatized by his treatment that she couldn't stand up for herself. Psychiatric nurse Ann Burgess believed that Lisa likely suffered from battered spouse syndrome, defined as a condition created by sustained physical, sexual, and or emotional abuse. Dr. Burgess stated, quote, 
It's very difficult to understand why women stay in this kind of situation. But studies show other cases that women stay in the relationship because they feel they have no power to extricate themselves. Lisa said she was afraid of Lawrence. He was mean, jealous, and controlling. According to her latest version of events, he was the only one who wanted Lori dead because she threatened to bring rape charges against him. Lisa claimed Lawrence forced her to cover for him. As the hearing went on, the defense cited yet more examples of reasonable doubt and misconduct. They accused East Lampeter investigators of severe negligence for failing to share crucial testimony with Lisa's previous defense team. The evidence in question came from another resident of Lori Show's condo complex. Back in 1991, the witness told officers that she'd seen Lawrence's brown mercury leaving the parking lot down a street called Black Oak Drive. At the time, investigators didn't take her testimony seriously. Not only did it go against where officials believe Lawrence had picked up the girls, they questioned the witness's reliability. According to officials, the woman seemed to have a, quote, emotional problem. But as Hazel Show listened to Lisa's defense team present the new evidence, a troubling memory resurfaced. She too remembered seeing Lawrence Yunkin drive right past her on Black Oak Drive that day. This didn't match Lawrence's testimony, meaning he was possibly lying about what happened that morning. It suddenly seemed a lot more likely that Lawrence was the one behind the murder, just like Lisa had said. When the judge heard Hazel's recollection, he cited in favor of Lisa. On April 16, 1997, she was released from prison. Her freedom was only temporary, however. The Third Circuit Court of Appeals subsequently found the ruling unwarranted. In order to appear before a federal judge, a prisoner must first go through a lengthy series of state appeals. Since Lisa and her lawyers didn't take the proper measures first, the verdict was reversed. So in February 1998, after 10 months on the outside, 25-year-old Lisa Michelle Lambert was forced back into prison. Her next opportunity to go before a state judge came in April. Lisa and her defense team were ready for a challenge and presented yet another judge with a new story. This time, Lisa again claimed she'd been raped by three East Lampeter police officers. Then, to add more fuel to fire, her attorney alleged that someone had stolen Lori Show's corpse from the morgue and returned it to her bedroom to tamper with evidence photos. The latest accusations were outrageous, but the deputy attorney general remained unfazed. As the lead prosecutor, she too had a new story to tell, straight from the mouth of Tabitha Buck. For the past five years, 24-year-old Tabitha had remained silent, accepting her fate and serving time in Lancaster County Prison. While she recognized her part in the death of Lori Show, she denied being the one to deliver the killing blow. She simply had no reason to murder. Back in 1992, her defense attorney had advised her to keep quiet, 
but she was tired of reading about Lisa's lies. She was finally ready to testify about what really happened on December 20th, 1991. Thanks to her confession, prosecutors were able to piece together the whole truth, which we covered at the beginning of this episode. In August 1998, the judge rejected Lisa's allegations and found her guilty of first-degree murder for the second time. Even then, however, Lisa wasn't ready to give up. In 2005, she and her defense team went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn her case. Once again, she was denied. As of now, it appears that her appeals have been exhausted. While she maintains her innocence to this day, Lisa Michelle Lambert is not likely to ever go free. In 2004, 32-year-old Lawrence Youngkin was granted parole, and in 2019, 45-year-old Tabitha Buck was released from prison. While Hazel and John show still mourn the loss of their daughter, it seems they finally found a semblance of peace. In 1994, the duo successfully lobbied for an anti-stalking bill in the state of Pennsylvania, making it easier for victims like Lori to receive help. They hope no one else ever has to meet a criminal like Lisa Michelle Lambert. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We will be back Wednesday with another episode. For more information on the murder of Lori Show, amongst the many sources we used, we found Overkill by Lynn Riddle extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts on Spotify or your favorite podcast directory. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Jane O, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Haley Milligan, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs.